Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. In this second season of the show, host Jordan Guth is joined by a new guest each episode who knows something about hi-fi that Jordan doesn't. And who knows, while he's learning about all of this, you might learn something too. So with no further ado, here's Jordan and this week's guest. Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. Today we're here with Connor Dean Amft, the COO of T Plus A. Welcome, Connor Dean. Jordan, good to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, there's a lot of kind of questions that I have about uh, T plus A, your involvement, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I would very much like to get into. Um, to start, how did you originally get into hi-fi? Maybe a little bit of an origin story, I should say, to where you are now and how you got there. Sure. Um, I got into audio actually before I started working with T plus A. And I was kind of at a crossroads at that point where I had finished my bachelor's degree. I had worked for a watchmaker, I'd done some work in consulting, and the opportunity came up to work for a great company in the audio industry with whom I would say we are friends who make amazing headphones, who are also German. I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, and that was actually my first start because I had the opportunity to work for a family business, which they were at the time, and to also work in marketing, which I had discovered during my stint with watchmakers. And I found it incredibly interesting. And in hindsight, it's now kind of full circle that I went from a career potentially uh, in academia to watchmaking, consulting, and then all the way back to the audio industry. I think it was more of uh, coincidences at the time. But in the end, that is how I started working in the audio industry. And at that point, I started asking myself the question, how do I imagine my way into T plus A? Do I, first of all, do I imagine a way into T plus A? And secondly, how, how can I do that? And that was actually on a drive through our hometown. And you've, you've been there, Jordan, where, yeah. where my now wife and I discussed it. And we then came up with the idea for my master's degree in family business and how that could be a great segue using my time at Sennheiser to segue into T plus A. Now, your father... Siegfried was the founder of T plus A. Yes. So you grew up in a hi-fi or an audio-fi household to begin with. So I think that's also kind of a key part to this where right from birth, essentially, you are always surrounded by the hi-fi influence. Absolutely. Uh, totally. I think the flip side is that it's kind of a normal yep. because it, it, you're so used to it that for the past 30 years, I've always had the latest loudspeakers, headphones, uh, now that we make them, electronics. And so it, it for me, was always kind of the baseline to, to have that stuff around, which was great. And I think it really helped me form a, a um, connection with the company. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, in a very positive sense, I grew up at the company. And ev even at an early age in high school, I, I worked in the company, for example, uh, in our production team or in our uh, customer service team. And that was always a thing that, that it was very natural for me to work 
at T plus A in, in some sort of capacity. And of course, as a student, you don't have that much of, of an impact. But it, it, for me, it was, it always felt natural that T plus A was there. It wasn't like I was completely removed. And then all of a sudden at age 20 something, you decide to enter a world that you've never been to. And I, I think it's also interesting because for people that don't know, T plus A is still a very family owned and family driven business. So I, I think there's that uh, parallel there where it's very much part of the DNA of T plus A to have those long tenures, the, the relationship with the individuals that work there, um, all the way through to the, the family and all of that. Absolutely. I think the, the average tenure now is something around 25 years. And we, we, are, we are kind of hitting now the, the first retirees from the baby boomer generation. But still, people stay with us for an incredibly long time, which is just great because it really allows you to develop projects long term rather than having to deal with short term projects because people leave. There is a lot of turnover. And I, I guess one of the other things from North America standpoint, um, the the introduction that I've had to T plus A, and I've asked our producer Dennis uh, what he kind of knows about T plus A. In North America, we kind of know T plus A as more of an electronics manufacturer. We don't know as much about the speakers, and that is changing. Um, but we don't know as much about the speakers, and we don't know a lot about the history of T plus A and how it kind of all got started. When we were there a couple, maybe a month or so ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, one of the interesting things I believe you said was T plus A is actually quite large. Like it's one of the largest, uh, if not the largest speaker manufacturer in Germany, uh, or that might have been the electronics. I, I don't quite remember the exact thing, but can you give a little bit of a uh, the, the Cole Notes version of T plus A and, and kind of the products that started T plus A to, to kind of where we are now? We started in 1978, actually in disused bake shop as a loudspeaker maker, because my father always had the dream of making electronics, but back then he didn't have the cash to pay for it. And speakers were, and still are, much more cost-efficient to build. So for the first couple of years, we went all in building speakers, for example, the Criterion range that then became so successful selling, I think, it's 11,000 pairs or speakers. I'm not an, an entirely sure, but it's that actually helped pay for setting up an electronics R&D team that came up with our first audio con series that then evolved into our R series in the 1990s. And all of those product ranges are in some form or other still with us. For example, the Criterion speakers used to be with us uh, until last year. Now there is something happening in the near future with that. The Solitaire speakers are still uh, with us, just like the R-Series. And now we really have the company set up to be a, We in German, we call it uh, full range. I don't know if there is an English equivalent to that, but we have loudspeakers which we are focusing very much on as of the last two years. We have headphones, which we introduced in 2020, actually, and of course, electronics. And I don't think we will ever achieve parity 
because right now electronics are still the leading source of revenue for T plus A, but of course we would like it to be as even as possible, meaning that of course we would love our loudspeakers and headphone portfolios to, to grow and in the end contribute maybe as much as electronics do. Yeah, yeah, I totally makes sense. And w- what was really interesting to me, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, uh, headphones. So maybe I'll take a step back because I know a little bit more about this story. When you started at T plus A, headphones weren't a thing. And my understanding behind this is you made uh, a few very strong cases for why you believed headphones should become part of uh, T plus A's product offering. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on that and and maybe even kind of the, the people that you see using speakers versus headphones and and kind of why you believed that that push into headphones was so important? Um, The move into headphones had two rationales. One was that I saw the majority of my peer group, and that's anecdotal evidence, but it, it was a lot of people who, whenever they wanted to get better sound, they bought better headphones rather than invest in speakers. And I think... That is a consequence of my generation growing up with the iPod, the Sony Walkman, where headphones were just ubiquitous. You you had them wherever you were, so you're just used to them to enjoy music. And that is the business case for why I thought that it would make sense to go into headphones, because younger people are much more used to it. That was the, the immediate rationale. And the the long-term plan was that we hoped to make products that people can actually wear outside because a hi-fi brand, if you don't have uh, travel headphones, it's a very home-centric product usually. So not a lot of people see it, but if you wear headphones, for example, on an airplane, it can be kind of like a watch thing where you, you can wear it wherever you are. And I think that opens up a whole new clientele. So that was the long-term play when we started developing our first home-use headphones because that was the the long-term plan to start with home-use headphones. And then if that works out, go to travel headphones. And uh, the reception of kind of putting this forth as a a plan, how did that go over with... uh, with your father? He was very open to it. He wasn't a huge headphone fan. So it wasn't that, that he said when I walked in and said, hey, Dad, I think we, we got to do something about headphones. He didn't say, I had the same thought last night, let's do it. He <laughs> was not, not hesitant, but um, he understood the rationale. And, and as, mm. as the case was made, we did some market research, which wasn't super conclusive. So it didn't come back with people saying, go for it. But he still uh, took the risk, which I'm incredibly grateful for, because he, he believed that the, the case I made and that our team made as well. I can't t- t- take credit for it all alone, but it was, it was a team of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the case we made made sense. And so he was willing to take the risk and even um, make a product that might fail. 
And, and that was a, a realistic possibility in the beginning of 2020 when we were really launching those headphones, coveted. And so no one knew if this was either a really good idea to launch them now or if the entire market is going to tank and it was the worst possible time to, to launch the <laughs> headphones. And, and he was really willing to stick with it and to support me because if you are the second generation coming into a company and the company is taking such a, a bet that they did because of you, it can be stressful and there can be situations where you think if this doesn't pan out, I have a huge problem. And so both my parents were just... <laughs> incredibly supportive and willing to see it through because they had the experience to see that the business rationale behind it was actually sound. Yeah. And so his reaction was very helpful and positive. So the naming convention of the, the headphones, it, they're solitaire. Uh, both the headphones are solitaire. That shares the name from one of the speaker lines as well. Was there, um, like, did you want to kind of keep that naming convention to kind of keep people that may already know the, the T plus A for the solitaire speakers to kind of make them more comfortable about the headphones? Or was this, was there another rationale to kind of keep that naming convention as opposed to come up with an entirely new uh, name for the headphone range? Actually, it was a technical reason because the first solitaire oh. headphones were magnetostatic headphones, still are magnetostatic headphones. Yeah. And... They they are driven by by a planar system, and our solitaire speakers had always been driven by electrostatic or other planar systems, and so that was the idea to say, hey, actually we're using a similar technology here because the headphone driver may as well be a, a treble unit, for example, a, a tweeter. Yeah, and that was the idea to say, hey, we're using a, a similar technology, and why not have our top of the line headphone? and the top-of-the-line speaker bear the same name. Very cool. Um, and then when it comes to the, the headphones, and I uh, and maybe this is actually proving your thought process here, um, I love loudspeakers. I love the hi-fi industry, um, all the different components and all that, but I, I have a special affinity to headphones because I do travel uh, a fair bit, and a lot of the time when I'm in the home, I don't have the luxury of being able to throw on a pair of speakers all that loud. So I put on headphones and I sit down and enjoy. So uh, I'll admit that as I kind of dig into the headphone stuff a little bit, because I am quite curious. You started with the Solitaire P headphones. So these guys are quite expensive. They're, they're not cheap headphones. There's a reason why they're that expensive. They have technology that you don't see as often. So the planar magnetic. What was the idea between like to start high in the market and then kind of go down in your next range to a more travel one as opposed to starting with the travel? Like why start with the in-home experience when somebody might already have a speaker system? For us, there were two reasons. When we got into making headphones, we wanted to not minimize risk, but not take unnecessary risks and given the the planar technology of the solitaire peas we knew that we understood the, the basic technology of how the driver is supposed to work and so there were less unknown unknowns compared to, to a travel headphone which also had to deal with uh, a battery 
uh, ANC? How do you tune ANC? What happens to Bluetooth? How do you make sure that they sound great in, in passive mode? So those were all variables that we knew we would have had to deal with not having any experience in headphones. And when we went for the home use headphone, we knew that we understood the basic driver technology. So it now came down to tuning the headphone, understanding how the driver works in the headphone casing, but you didn't have as many variables compared to a closed back travel headset with, with a battery pack. And so at first we wanted to gain experience, understand how, how headphones work and go on uh, from there. And we always believed in introducing a top of the line product and working our way down from that rather than um, working up from an entry-level product. But that's just a thing that, that we do. I think you, you can go both ways. It, it very much depends on what you want to do as a brand. And when it comes to uh, the headphones, the, and you kind of already mentioned it, the next pair that you made was these travel headphones, these solitaire tees. That is a huge step. So they're still they're still in the higher price range. They're still in the the kind of higher quality um audiophile grade headphones the way that I'll I'll kind of frame it. Um but they do have a lot of a uh, unique stuff that I don't see in a lot of high-end headphones. But then they also have this huge range of technology for when you're on the go and you want it. So that jump between the the solitaire p the first one and the second one when did you know you were ready to make that jump when did you know that that was something that you were going to be able to commit to <laughs> do you want to have an honest answer yes it's usually when you start without all the management spin that i could now um put up to avoid answering the question to be honest um there are always moments where you think this cannot possibly work and why, why are we doing it? And that was when we had the, the idea for the solitaire tees, we didn't just want to make a, a travel headphone. We, we really said, let's start out making a home use headphone that also has the travel capabilities. To, to be, because we felt that that was something that we would want to have. If I wanted to buy a headphone, I would love to have a one-stop solution where I can just have, have one headphone. And... Of course, that introduces layers of difficulty where you at times think, why did, we, why did we think this was a good <laughs> idea? But um, in the end, we have a very robust development process and you can usually look to the progress you make and that keeps you going on because you see we've tackled so many issues now. Let's tackle the other ones as, as well. And I think having that structure in place really helped us break it, break the complexity down to manageable levels yeah. so that the entire team isn't overwhelmed by all of a sudden, as you said, having a, a load of technology in front of them and basically two years time and let's have at it. And I think that was credit to the entire R&D team um, uh, Lothar Wiemann and Jörg Küpper, who were our uh, heads of R&D uh, at the time, who really managed the process in a, in a way that made it manageable for the entire team. Has any of the technology or learnings or research and development that you've done for the headphones, has any of that made its way back into the electronics or the speakers? Is there any learnings, even in the process, that or the materials that have kind of transferred back into the 
the more traditional T plus A product line? Yeah, uh, some of which I'm not yet allowed to talk about, but others, uh, yes. So, for example, our tweet is for the uh, entry-level solid test speakers. They are not a direct learning, but they're very similar to the tweeters we use in our Solitaire headphones. And that was the, the basic idea that we have one row of magnets and the diaphragm on the other uh, side. Um, and that was an idea that we transferred um, over when we started developing, for example, the speakers that we said, why can't we make the headphone drivers just smaller and fit them into a speaker and use them as a tweeter? Oh, interesting. And um, that actually, we, we then blew that system up for the uh, larger solitaire speakers with the 85 centimeter long tweeter, where we again said, let's just take the concept of the headphone drivers and make it much, much bigger. So there is a, a great cross-pollination, so to speak, of, of ideas between both uh, loudspeakers and, and headphones, which I think is also an, a, a consequence of the same team working on both. We didn't separate them out when we made the decision to go into headphones, but we rather said, let's have a unit that works on electronics and let's have a team that works on, we call them in German, transducers, but that encompasses yeah. loudspeakers and headphones. And so the cross-pollination of ideas is just much more natural because it's the same team working on it. Thank you, Conradine. Right now, we're going to take a quick little musical break and we'll jump right back into things after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Connor Dean from T plus A. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about um, the, the little bit of the origin story of T plus A, how the, the product range is looking and how the headphones uh, came to be. What I'm kind of curious about, Germany is renowned for their engineering. Um, they're kind of looked to on the world stage as kind of the pinnacle of engineering and of these like very sleek designs. Um, and I personally see that through the the t plus a product line um i'm curious to to kind of hear conradine what your opinions are on uh the the germanness of t plus a uh or if there's other influences and in, in stuff like that that is a very good question because i think in 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 some aspects we are quintessentially german engineering and in, in other aspects, we very much try to be very international. And I think a technology-first approach is, is very typical for, for German engineering, so that it's really about technology. It's not about coming up with something that is just a new spin on, on something that already exists, but actually going the extra mile to, to come up with new solutions. 
part of the reason for T plus A to exist is to actually do the development process, to come up with new solutions, to, to even take the risk to fail. And I think that is very much what German engineering is, is about, which funny side story also really helps us attract new young talents, especially in R&D, because there is such a strong culture of engineering that it's not hard for us to find new engineers. Now, in, in other aspects, we try to become a, a, a bit more international, uh, especially on the business side, where because the question always is, it's a great technology, but what about the business case? And I think that is some, somewhat of the flip side to German engineering, that maybe the business case is not discussed as much as it, as it could be discussed. But I think that um, in the end, what's, what's really quintessentially German is, for example, that we measure everything we do twice so that we just we, we always make sure that the data is there, the facts are there. It's not just it sounds great. Let's ship it out. Maybe I should have uh, started with this earlier, but I think everything that you just said kind of leads into what T plus A actually stands for. So what does T plus A actually mean? Maybe I should have started with that, but I'll ask that now. What does T plus A actually mean? Theory and application. My, my father founded the company um, having a graduate degree in physics uh, because he really wanted to transfer the, the theory from his uh, university education into the audio industry, to apply it to the audio industry. Um, and that is what we, we are still driven by. We, we still have, for example, young students working on projects um, for their dissertations, but even as, as in internships where we don't know where they're going with it. it. It may well be that that is a huge breakthrough, or it could just be that we say, well, it's an, it was a nice time. We learned a lot, but that's not an idea we can bring to market. And, and I think that is also part of um, German engineering that's not as commonly known because I think German engineering is very much known for being very precise, very accurate, almost like the Swiss, yeah. so to speak, in terms of measuring things, making sure everything fits. But I think it's also the willingness to give young people a shot, to, to let them experiment, to let them come up with new technologies and ideas. How has, um, I guess, the market both in Germany and, and kind of externally, how has uh, the market changed the the approach that T plus A has had over the generations? Um, I think that the we saw a couple of shifts in the market. Um, one was a shift that we ourselves introduced all the way back in 2007 when we introduced our first streamers, where uh, people even said that my father now finally lost his marbles because how can you ever think that something music streamed over the internet can ever be higher quality than a CD? And, and that was a, a shift where we, back then, I say we, but the team back then took the huge gamble that over time the internet will uh, become so important that you actually... Uh, it will eclipse the CD as the primary uh, means of listening to music. That was a shift 
all the way back in 2007 that we um, initiated ourselves and what we are seeing now and what we've responded to with, for example, our new uh, PSD and R2500 uh, units is a shift uh, more towards mobile devices where it's it's no longer that the unit itself is streaming the, the music from the internet, but that it's very phone-centric. And so that you need to open up your electronics uh, to the user's phone, to, to the music they have stored uh, on their phone. Um, and we think that that trend will continue uh, and even, even accelerate down the line. So for us now, it's... Um, basically a, a strategy to, on the one hand, of course, include the latest streaming services, the latest technologies, but also to open our devices up so that the customers in the long run can choose what they play, for example, from their phone. With everything becoming more phone-centric, you guys are, are kind of making that push into headphones and doing very well with it. Do you see the the kind of electronics and the speakers as a declining market over the next I know it's impossible to predict the future, but do you do you imagine that people are going to be even less interested in speakers and electronics over the next uh, few decades, or are they mutually exclusive? Maybe that's the better way of putting it. I don't necessarily think they are. I think that if we, and by we I now mean the, the entire industry, if we adopt those trends and... Um, come up with, with, for example, electronics or speaker products that, for example, can be connected to phones very easily. Um, I don't think there will be a decline necessarily. I think that uh, the perception of the devices itself will shift. Maybe you do not need electronics anymore, but they just look great. And so the reason for buying them might, might, may change. Um, I think with uh, headphones, it very much depends on the living situations, at least in, in home use. And, and that's why it's very hard to make predictions there because you don't know how living situations, for example, do people have lots of space? Does the average size of the flat increase or decrease? I think all of that factors in if they buy electronics, if they buy speakers, if they buy headphones. So uh, I think all we can do as an industry is to come up with the products that fit the needs of the next generation. So easily connectable to a phone app interface that works well. All of those things that even if you have all your music on a phone, it's still fun to use the device. Then I think uh, we will flourish. Is there a specific technology or specific product ranges or things that uh, T plus A is exploring now that might be either surprising to people or might uh, give a glimpse of where you can imagine the, the next product range coming from? Yes, actually, there is, because we've reorganized the way we develop uh, our electronics, because in the past, we've always focused on the kind of core technologies, but the usability came, came second to that. So it was core product, as we call it, core product first, and then find a way how to interact with it. But what we've seen new customers demand is that a product has to be great to, to use, 
And that's why we've set up our own team in R&D that focuses solely on user experience, user interfaces, which we haven't done, done in the past. And I'm actually super excited because those guys and girls are really taking a kind of scientific approach to uh, usability. And if those products work out the way we think they will, they will be something completely different to what we've done before. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to see what, what they're coming up with. And this kind of maybe is an aside, but um, there's a resurgence of technology like, uh, I mean, CDs, uh, but the, the one that blows me away is cassette tapes. Uh, vinyl uh, still has a, a pretty large resurgence. T plus A in the past has made cassette CD players. Uh, I think you might still have a turntable. I, do. I don't know yeah. if you still have a turntable. Yeah. Um, would you ever go back and kind of um, expand upon those those previous technologies, like something like cassette tapes? Mm -hmm. Do you see any value in going back and adding that technology back into new products? I am not sure. In 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 general. I'm very open to doing it because in the end we're selling emotions. And so if people enjoy putting in their cassette into the cassette deck, it's a great product. And, and so I'd be, I'd never rule out most things going back to cassettes, for example. Um, I'm just not sure when it comes to, to, for example, cassettes, if it's really a trend or if it is a very salient minority that is maybe not representative of the industry. But in general, no, I'd never rule, rule that out. Yeah, I, I kind of look at some of these things and, and some of them I see. Like I understand vinyl and, and kind of the, the art of vinyl and the idea of sitting down and listing and, and kind of flipping it over and all the, the kind of um, emotions that come with it. Cassettes in particular for me, I, I just don't see it. So... I'm always curious to see how uh, how the industry looks at it. It's it's interesting. I personally think using cassettes, and I've grown up with them, um, it was always a huge hassle. But <laughs> I can understand why people would start using them again because it, it it kind of it gives you a great feeling of of doing things that you did as a child. And, yeah. and so I think. The technological value isn't there, but the emotional value is, which may be that you could even, and I've sold all my cassettes that I've had as a child. I turned, I think when I turned 20 and moved in, into my flat during university, I sold everything. But I can now see why people would um, maybe rediscover the moments they had when they listened to those cassettes being maybe 15 and heartbroken whatever um and i think that's yeah. incredibly powerful for us as well that listeners form an emotional bond to music because i think you can always or at least i have a song for every station in my life i could name a song that that i listened to at that time um and, and i think bringing back those memories through cassettes can be very very powerful um you kind of led into typically the last question that I ask, uh, which is, let's say me and you are going on a road trip and you 
had to put on a, a song or an album uh, or kind of a collection of artists that you absolutely love and you're like, I need you to listen to this. What would be your go-to song? Or what is the the soundtrack to your life at this moment? Or something that is that is stood the test of time uh, for you in terms of your audio taste? That's incredibly difficult. There are a couple of songs that um, I listen to not as frequently because I don't want to... Over- there is a German term to overhear something that you listen to it so often that you just get sick of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't want, want that to happen to those songs. But um, one of the songs that's really close to my heart is it's by John Williams. Um, Star Wars okay. Episode 2. Um, it's called Across the Stars. That's it, Across the Stars. And I listen to it um, quite frequently, but then um, we did a... a for the solitaire piece, we did the uh, kind of, we tested them. And I listened to them for the first time uh, in really high, high res quality on the HA200 with those headphones. And all of a sudden it just hit me on a visceral level how not only beautifully recorded it was, but how well thought out it was. Because if you know the story of Star Wars, and I'm, I think you, you do. Yeah, you, yeah I'm you, a super Star Wars yeah, nerd. Perfect. We, we can geek out now. Um, but uh, the, the thing is that um, just what I found fascinating was how that one song in, in five minutes' time basically told the story of Anakin Skywalker. And it just managed to tell that in the context of this love story. And that was just. Um, it still gives me goosebumps talking about it now. Oh, that's amazing. We, we can geek out after this, but uh, that's awesome. I love that. Um, with that, thank you so much, Conradine, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I'm very excited to see uh, what T plus A has in store for the future. John, thanks very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. And stay tuned for what we will introduce. Awesome. Take care, everyone.